Welcome to the Charlie Paparelli Show. I'm Charlie Paparelli. I'm so glad that you join us. Today we're going to be talking about from top performing BDR, business development rep, to top performing AE, account executive. What's the journey? We are all about, the show is all about entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. So that you don't miss any of the episodes, please submit your email to paparelli.com. And not only will you be alerted to when the next episode is going to be published, but you'll also get my weekly blog that comes out on Tuesday mornings as an extra for you. I'm Charlie Paparelli. For 30 years, I've been helping entrepreneurs achieve their dream uh, of starting and building valuable companies. I've learned a lot from entrepreneurs on how to do that, and that's what this show also is all about. My guest today is Nick Paparelli. Nick, yes, Nick Paparelli. He's my son. He's my guest and my son. Nick is uh, nearing the end of his first year as an account executive with a software company, uh, also known as a sales rep. He sells for New Relic, which is a West Coast-based public company. I'm proud of Nick. Finding your occupation early in life and building on your career during your 20s is a secret to a long and successful career. And Nick made that transition well. You know, he decided early as an intern, sales was his future, and he loves it, and he's doing well at it. Today, we will talk about what he is learning in his first year of selling. For you, my entrepreneur audience, today is a peak into the mind and the motivation of a new software sales rep. Welcome, Nick, and thank you for joining me in helping entrepreneurs. Thanks for having me. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. First of all, I want to congratulate you, Nick, on having made Sales Club in your first year as an account executive. That's a big achievement. Yeah, thank you. It It was quite the journey. Is it something that you sort of, uh, were you one of the top reps or you uh, you were top reps in the company, but you one of the top reps or was it very difficult to kind of get into that sales club? Uh, yeah, it was all, yeah, it was all, it's always <laughs> difficult. It's learning how to do better and really growing through it. Um, it was the top 30% of the company makes sales club and me and a few of my other AE friends that got promoted uh, were the lucky ones to really get on in. So we were more at the tail end of the sales club list, but we still made the list and uh, we're excited. We're headed out to Costa Rica in a few weeks to get an all-inclusive plate stay. And I'm about to play 18 rolls of golf on the ocean. So I'm pretty excited about that too. It's not bad. How many people, how many actual, how many, how many people will be going to club? Did they tell you? I've seen the list. It's, (laughs) it's, I don't know. I guess it's probably like a hundred people. Maybe that's it. Yeah. That's so a hundred people and their spouses kind of a thing. Yeah. It's a hundred people and their spouses. It's just that, uh, I'll be going alone. It'll be more fun. Okay. <laughs> so if there is anybody I'd like to go with Nick, I guess this is an open invitation. When is the trip? Uh, May 23rd through May 27th. Oh man. That's a lot of fun. That's going to be a great celebration. You're going to meet some terrific people there too. Nothing like building your network internally in the company, seeing people face to face after the stupid pandemic that we've just been through. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to see the real people. You know, so tell me, uh, let's start by telling us your responsibilities as an AE. So my responsibilities as an AE is to help 
a subset of customers, around 25 customers, to grow uh, in their application performance monitoring journey. So I'm helping these companies, partnering with them, and maturing them through to a place where they can actually be proactive instead of reactive when problems arise at their companies. I don't know. So let's start with something I left off. It might be a good idea to say, what are you selling, in fact? What is New Relic's product? Our product is uh, an observability platform. Now, it's an observability platform. It's a monitoring platform. So when you're monitoring your applications, the core applications, anything going on in your business from a server side, from your environment side, we're making sure that's not going down. So we're saving you money from not having downtime and giving your customers peace of mind from what they're seeing on their end because they're able to access. So it is. It is. It's application performance monitoring. Yes, it is. Right. Because a lot of companies now are dealing with web apps that are really driving a lot of their business. And this, this, uh, what your application does is to make sure, sure that their uptime is 99.9%. And if it isn't, then they get alerted to, to it immediately. Yeah. While feeding you in some data that you can actually correlate to increase your efficiency as well. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, but you, you said that you had 25 accounts. So you get, you get, 25 accounts assigned to you, accounts being these are customers already. Yes. So these are uh, already customers, install-based customers. And then we also get a few green fields that we're able to go after after as well. Are they and, named accounts? Are the green fields also named accounts? Yeah, they are. They are. So when you get paid, do you get paid? Is the majority of your plan on the uh, on the existing accounts? Okay. Or like as you look at your plan, like your target earnings, okay, in order for you to hit your target earnings, you know, uh, can you do it with just your existing accounts or do you have to also sell some new accounts? So that's the interesting part. We are not a typical software uh, software company. We do not sell just a product and then you pay for the product and move on. What we do is we're consumption-based. So we charge you per seat and per gigabyte that's ingested into our platform. Okay. So with that 25 accounts, my goal is to grow them past a commit that they already had. So we have an annual pool of funds that goes up there and we deduct every month from that annual pool of funds. And my job is to make sure that you grow over that annual pool of funds. Now that's not looking at as a selfish so direction. When they, so when they bought the product, they mm -hmm. paid for so much time, right? Let's say, or so much usage or gigabytes or whatever of the yeah. product, right? So many seats. And what your job is to say, that's great. I'm going to have, make sure that you use all of that, a lot of time that you already paid for. And now I want you to, I'm going to work with you to increase your usage to, mm -hmm. to, to for your new Relic product to actually be more important to them than they had anticipated. Yes, that's it. It's because every business is scaling and growing at all times. So it's hard to go to the traditional method of the monitoring uh, industry, which is more based on CPU usage, disk space, all these other different number of things. Yeah. It's hard to calculate. So we just simplified it down and we made uh, our sales reps more of partners with you, consultants, to make sure that what you're doing in our platform is actually providing value to your company. Okay. So who sold this account, these 25 accounts that you have? Who sold that were assigned to you? Who sold them to start with? So it would be uh, the reps before me would have sold them to start with. And then I'm still always trying to acquire more accounts. So to go back to your original question that started all this. Yes, the best way I can hit my number with my install base. 
but I need a greenfield base too to blow that number out of the water. I don't want to be a rep that hits 106%. I want to be a rep that hits 250%. And you can't do that by install base. So where's there, if you had to put a, uh, if there was a weighting on money, is there more money available per greenfield account or more money available per existing account, you know, increasing their consumption? It's probably 60% current company and 40% greenfield. Oh, it is. So you really have to start building it. So the people that now are there reps in your company that all they do, in other words, they're hunters, not farmers. Mm -hmm. A lot of your job is farming, right? You want to take something, a field that's existing, AKA your clients, and you want to increase the, uh, the amount that will come from that field, right? The harvest, mm -hmm. you want to build a bigger harvest. That that's what something I'd call is, um, a, a farmer. farmer rather than a hunter. Yet part of your job is hunting. Are there some people in your company, some AEs in your company, their only, their only job is hunting? So, yeah, we did have a hunter team in the past. I think we're moving a little far away from that. What we're doing now is doing inside sales reps. So those are the people that are more so the hunters now. So you got BDRs, mm -hmm. which are their lead gen people? Yeah, lead gen opportunity people, yeah. Okay. And then you got AEs, and you're one type of AE. Yeah. But okay. yeah, that would be – it would be more so we have BDRs that are lead generation. Yeah, go ahead. We have inside sales reps would be the next step up from there, and that's going to be the people that are hunting and then collecting those leads from those BDRs to get those people onto our platform. And then there are commercial AEs. Enterprise AEs that our job is to really farm what's going on and really partner with these people and grow. And then we have our subset of greenfields as well. So you're in that third group? Yes. So I'm a commercial AE. Okay. Since you became an AE, you move you went from BDR to AE. Did you sit skip that inside sales rep? We didn't have the inside sales rep at the time when I was there. So yeah, I skipped that. I skipped that. But I was you just became an AE. I just became an AE, yeah. Okay, so within being an AE within these commercial accounts, do you move? Uh, what's what's your next step to say? I want to make even more money, you know. So what's your next step from uh, from being an AE that you're on now? My next step would be to be a uh, senior commercial AE, and then from there it would be to enterprise. Now there's two. There's we have four segmented territories, so we have. T1, T2, T3, and T4. I cover T4, a senior AE in commercial, covers T3, and then the enterprise cover T2 and T1. What are T? What are the Ts again? T1, T2, T3, T4. What do they mean, though? I don't understand. It's all based off of separate uh, – it's all based on how much the customer is spending with us. So oh. I cover – between X amount and X amount being spent, and then the senior AEs will cover another, uh, like at least like 100K clients and up. And then All enterprise right. would cover 500,000 to a million something, and then a senior enterprise would cover two to three million and up or something like that. Okay, so let's say, so of the 25 accounts that were assigned to you, what was their, what was the consumption number that they paid for gross? Do you know? The average consumption number would be around 75 to 80K. Okay. 
And so you get that and you, you look, so you get a, you, you, you call in you, you, or you look at the data, right? They're feeding you the data. You know, it's an 80 K consumption number that they paid for. What do you do from that point to, uh, you know, what are your target, your personal targets or what is what is the company's expectation? First of all, on what you're going to do with that 80 K. It's to grow by 30%. That's the that's, expectation. That's it. And the way to do that. Go ahead. Is what we do is going back to that partnership I was talking about, that consultative approach. And that is more so I'm sitting down, I'm having weekly meetings with all my customers or bi-weekly meetings with all my customers and working closely with the engineering team to expand out what they're trying to do and dig into use cases. So when you call them, you know, are you, do you feel, do they feel like you're just constantly asking them questions and scratching around trying to get that, get them to increase their buying by 30%. How do you go about that? Now, how, do yeah, it, so, how do you do it so that you're actually like you use the term consultative sell, you know, how do they, how do you go about sort of adding value, you know, during that process so that you're actually discovering things for helping them discover that they really do need to be spending more with you because it'll be better for their company. How do you yeah. do that? So that is going to be by those. There's a few ways that we do it. It's really training them up to make sure that they are new relic experts and that's their enablement and uh, plans we put together where we both have our own goals. And after building that trust over a certain period of time through enablement and a mutual action plan, they, you really start digging into what value you're bringing to them and how you can expand on it. You're also finding gaps in their business and showing that as long as they're growing, we're going to be there with you and we can fill those gaps. You also find a way that maybe we can take down a few tools that you're using. Our platform does a lot of things. We do everything from logging to network performance monitoring to everything in between. So really, we can help you start eliminating other tools and consolidate. So what we're giving you is one clear picture, one clear view of your entire environment. So you're not losing any information by switching between, between different platforms. Yeah, but I guess that something that I don't understand is you're talking about a lot of technology. You're talking about people that are project leads but also people that are in a technology organization, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're a sales rep. You don't have technology background. I'm sure that they've given you, your company has given you sales, has given you product training, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but don't you have other, do you have other people that can actually help you suss out these needs better or to help you explaining things to your clients? Yes, I do. And that's a good point too as well as I have a team that helps support me. I have a solutions consultant who helps with the identifying the use cases and diving into the different demos that we do. Okay. And then I have a technical account manager and his job is that enablement and biweekly syncs and office hours and all those things that like fill in the gap on the back end. Talk about enablement. That's just, that seems to be one of those terms that might mean different things to different people. Yeah. So enablement is training in my mind. It's training up to make sure that you're seeing everything that you need to do. It's diving into your environment, working, going through your workflows, how you're really operating inside your business. So this is me using as a client. So I'm using the whole product. Okay. Mm-hmm. First of all, using the product period, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as my seat, you know, so these and the enablement people, they're actually working with every single seat that's, yeah. that's uh, within the corporation. Yes, they okay. would be. So really your job becomes, uh, building out a it's it's like this last interview I did with you know our mutual friend friend Russ West 
-hmm. you know, is sort of building out an understanding of the people, the network of people, the functional network of people that's in the company and making sure that you're talking to all of them all at different levels. Yeah, that is it. It's the best way that my uh, original boss put it is I'm the quarterback. So how am I directing this offense? How are we digging deeper in this account? And how are we really diving in to score to make sure that we are expanding? So, so what I, goal, when you, when you start with an account like that, what goal do you have in mind? What do you, give me the steps that you're kind of going through. First, it will just say, how am I going to get that? I mean, the problem is I got to increase this by 30%. Mm-hmm. Okay. I also know you and you're not there that you're not a hit and run sales guy. You're not just trying to get there. You're trying to truly help them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that seems to be your heart, right? Is that how you go about it? Yeah, I think that's where, I mean, I really do enjoy the pay and all that that comes with being an AE, but it's really helping these people evolve and grow and get to the point where they need to be to be able to be successful in monitoring their whole entire environment, their tech stack, really everything. Well, how it's, do you make somebody, how do you make somebody that you're talking to, how do you make them feel as though you're there to help them be successful? How do you how do you cross that bridge so they open up enough so that you know how to help them? Yeah, it's shown that you care. It's I think what really happened in the past is everyone's so used to the salesman, the car sales rep, really just selling you and leaving. Mm-hmm. But after you sit there and you build a relationship and you dive into what they're doing, you dive into maybe their even personal life, just to show that you're really there, you really care. You mm-hmm. pick up the phone when they call, you you own up to mistakes that might have happened. You sit there and you really show that. You want to be the sales rep. You want to be the partner to help them become a billion-dollar company, a $500 million company. And you can establish that through different yeah, but roles. I think you're, you're talking about company, but, you know, as an individual, you know, one of the things I've learned in selling to corporations, the first thing you got to understand is I want to make sure I don't lose my job, right? Mm-hmm. And that's but a – Then the second thing is, is I want to be more successful because I can get promoted in my job and actually make more money. So when you say, how can I make you an even bigger company? I'm not even thinking that. I'm thinking about how can I be more successful? Yeah. Right. Within my company. So how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I guess that goes back to a question that I ask is what, what happens if you're successful in this? What's your next move? Where are you growing to? Okay. And you really start digging into really what their role is, what their team's trying to do, why their team was started, what's how they're going to expand. And you start seeing the path that people need to go on and where they need to get to. So you start showing that you're invested into them becoming better at their job and they want to really bring you on and help and have you helping them out. All right. So that takes a, it takes a, I would think it would take an awful lot for somebody to start spilling their guts, if you will, about where, what their personal goals are, you know, within their, within a company. How do you get them to do that? I mean, room wasn't built in a day. Okay. This isn't, I don't have like three or four questions where it's like, aha, I got you. Now I have it. It's, this takes time. Everything is going to take time. The sale takes time. You have to be patient. You have to be understanding. Okay. So this does take three to four months, but then guess what? You still have eight months left on the contract to really build consumption through that. I'm not trying to Try to be your best friend right away. I want to build trust with you. And that's not me blowing up your phone, getting on your meeting calendar. Your job isn't new relic. Your job is to really whatever your role responsibilities are. And that's what you focus on majority of the time. So I'm not going to be the guy that's annoyance to you. I'm going to be the guy that will take the time that you give me. And every time we talk, I'm going to provide value to you. 
How do you know when you get off a call that you provided value? For me, it's really having solid. Sometimes do you, do you actually fail? Like you get off the call and you go like, boy, that didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that does happen. And it happened more, more, more times than I first started. And then I came to the mindset of I need to provide value every time I talk to you. So I'm making but sure I'm researching. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Say what you were going to say. Yeah, so um, I researched beforehand. I talked to my team beforehand. I grow on that side. So I have the pre-work done. But then during the conversation, at every moment, I'm asking myself, am I providing value or is this a dead conversation? You can feel when it's a bad conversation. You feel the awkwardness. You feel the tension. But okay. really, you know it's a good conversation when you're already establishing next steps in the conversation with your questions. With, well, that would be interesting. Let's dig into that. We need a different session for that. You brought value. You identified different use cases they had. And okay. now you're able to dig into those use cases. Well, you know, that, that, that is interesting. One of the things, though, that, uh, that surprised me is I think that uh, you started your new year, right? Because you guys are on a fiscal year. So you just started your new year. And did they not, did they take away the accounts that you were working last year and give you all new accounts? Yeah, I only kept four of my accounts from last year. What's the logic in that from a corporate standpoint? What do you, th- oh, what, do they, what do they tell you? The logic is it's, so the logic is that it's a, they're trying to create a minor league system. They're trying to create a path for sales reps to grow and get chunks each at a time. Okay. So every account under 50,000 of mine got taken away. And I got every account from 50 to 135K or something like that. So now I'm focused on bigger accounts. There's more responsibility. And the smaller accounts went to the inside sales reps. So they're learning how to work with the smaller accounts that it's less risk involved. The, the, the accounts that were 50K or less accounts, that also indicates the size of the business, not just the size of their consumption? So the 50K is what I what is, would be their consumption number. Well, I know it would be their consumption, but is it related to the size of their business? Uh, no, it would be any size business. So can, I, have, right? I, have, I, have, I have businesses as large as $5 billion right now. I have a $95 billion revenue business that I take care of right okay. now that I'm planning to help grow out. So I have about like five or six enterprise-type businesses that anyone else would classify, over $100 billion, public companies, well-known. And uh, my job or my goal is to not just grow those 30%, but grow those so much that they get sent back up to the enterprise space of our company. So what you're, but what you're saying though, is the, uh, the bigger, the consumption number, the assumption in all of this is the bigger, the consumption number, the harder it is to grow it, but there's more opportunity in that. Mm -hmm. The smaller the consumption number, the easier it is to grow it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you're not going to take a 30 K consumption number and make it 200 K. You're probably looking to take a 30K to 40 or 45K, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're 150K consumption, which is one of your accounts now, you're really looking to take that to 250, 300. Mm-hmm. So and the it's a, long, it's a longer cycle. It's a longer cycle. Are there more? Is it longer because there's more people involved? Or is it longer because the dollars are bigger? It's kind of a little bit of both. So it's. The amount of people involved, that is, because you're going to get multi-threaded. You're getting to different units of their business, and that takes longer because of the introductions of trying to understand what's going on and how everything's mapped up in the organization. And then the dollar amount is a factor, but it's not a factor of, 
oh, we can't spend this or X, Y, and Z, or we can't spend this, we can't, can't go over a certain budget number. It's more so that the procurement process of these bigger companies takes around two months to get deals done just by that by itself. I see. Okay. So um, <laughs> tell me about then. Now let's skip over from the consumption model and let's move over to the green field. Okay. So what is it that you have to do to uh, pick up those new accounts? I mean, what's the process there that you go through? We have to sign uh, with the whole process. I mean, it's, it's an incentive based process, of course. So we do get incentives for bringing on greenfield accounts. Uh, we get X amount for them signing a certain size of deal. Um, and then that adds to our consumption number that helps us blow out our normal quota. Well, I now, get all that, but how do you, how do you yeah, find these things? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really going through your different, it's going back to be, put your BDR hat on going through LinkedIn, going through your prospecting tools to dive in, create a cadence to understand how you can keep following up. And but it's a named account. Yeah. So they're giving you an exclusive on a named account when you get your territory. Yeah. How many named accounts that you have that they're interested in you breaking into as green new accounts? Uh, they'd just be happy if I broke into one or two really this year. But how many did they give you? They gave me five to six. They want us to focus more on our install base this year. That was part of the reason we had the whole shakeup in the account stuff. Okay, so they want to make sure that they're securing their revenue mm -hmm. and then kind of growing that and protecting against com competitors. Okay, but they've given you, you said five to six. Was it five or six? Do you know? It's five. They gave you five accounts and they said, we want you to get into these five accounts. So what percentage of your time, of your day, if you will, or your week, however you do it, you know, would be spent on trying to break break into those accounts? Uh, right now it's probably around five to 10%. And when I get past really all these introductions of these new accounts that I just got, it'll probably just become 20 to 25% of my, of my week. Okay. When you got five accounts like that, how do you choose which one you're going to work on first? It's the research you put in. So if it's a public company, you look at the 10 K, you look at the investor reports, you see what they're trying to do. You uh -huh. look into the Google tech news and see what they're doing in the technology world. Um, you go look on LinkedIn, you see how many engineers and how many people they're hiring and seeing how much more focus they're putting into I the IT space. So it's, it's building lists out on LinkedIn as well, building org charts out, trying to get an understanding of it. So what and convinces you when you get the, when you finally get your arms wrapped around this by doing all of those activities, now you got a basically a map of the company, right? Mm -hmm. If they're, if they're, if they're growing and all that, then you know that there's probably budget there. Okay. But at that, and at the same time as they're growing, there's probably going to be opportunity. So how do you choose one company or the, over the other after you get these uh, all laid out? For me, it's going to be their key initiatives and the things I've read in the news. It's okay. going to be the direction they're going, or if they're having outages, you'll hear about the outages. If you look at their mobile apps and see they have two stars, you know that they need help on that side. So it's really seeing where do we fit in and what's going on. You might also have our competitors in there already, of course, and they might be sick of our competitors. They might not want to be with them anymore. We see it all the time. We displace a good amount of people. So what it's, you're looking for is you're looking for a problem to solve, right? That you yeah. can solve with your product and with your company. Mm -hmm. Like is that so they either have a two star they have a two star rating on their application, so they really do need performance monitoring to help this thing to get it better. 
right? So that they have happier customers. Or the other side is they have a, they have a competitor in there and your job is to figure out, are they happy with the guy? Is he doing his job? Right. Because you, you, your company and your company values and the way that you and your company support team and the way that you uh, deliver product to them is different than your competitors. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, just recently, you've been through a very. We we have rescheduled this interview three times. Okay, and the reason is is because you did start a new year, and one of the things that you had to do was you said, "I'm in the middle of building my QBRs." Okay. What is a QBR? It's a quarterly breakdown review. It's when you go over your sales plan for the quarter or for the year, depending on which one you really engage with first. For Q1, you do kind of a quarter look and a year look. Yeah. And that's where you really tear out your companies and try to project what you're trying to build them to. And who's what was the process? Tell me the process that you went through because I know it was stressful for you because it ended with a presentation to whom? Uh, sales management, your sales manager or somebody beyond that? I mean, it was my sales manager, the head of our Atlanta office or of the East Coast New Relic team. Okay. And then we had people on the line from our headquarters in San Francisco as well. Okay. So preparing for that, what was the process that you actually went through before, you know, to be ready to do this presentation to you, to that team of sales management? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. My process was, first off, I had to list out my companies in a spreadsheet and be able to focus in on which ones were the most important. The way I determined the most important ones were meeting with the past account executives that handled these accounts and got a full downloaded history. From there, I had intro calls with these accounts to learn more about what they were trying to do and their initiatives. Um, and then from there, I was able to build out a plan of where my time was going to be focused in. Now, that's also going into they want to hear that you know a lot about your accounts. So you do have to go through and research a good bit and write down notes and keep track of what's going on to show that you have knowledge and looked over every single one of these accounts to show how you're going to grow them. That makes sense. So because otherwise what you do is you just kind of list all your accounts on a spreadsheet. You show what their current consumption is. You multiply it by... 30% or 40% or 10% or 15% just doing this, right? And uh, and you give them a number. That doesn't mean anything because you didn't put any time into it. So the, the QBR process is really forcing you into a better under a better qualifying process, if you will, understanding your account so that you can give them a meaningful projection. Yeah. So when the guys say, well, why do you think that's going to grow by 30%? You have to have the answer to that, and it better include the people that you're talking to or what they're doing technically or whatever else, right? And then the questions from there is, why, is you, why are you talking to this guy? What is oh, okay. So you dig in all the way down to the granular level. It's supposed to be hard questions that you're supposed to be asking your account executive. Now, your good account executives will be prepared for all those hard questions, but they also want to hear you say, I don't know. They want you to be honest with them about a few things as well. Okay. So you show that you're just not tuning your own and blowing smoke. You want to show a clear plan that you're still trying to build out or that you did build out. When you put your QBRs together, was it just for the quarter or for the year? It was a year look, but it's more focused on this quarter. So when you gave your year, when you looked at your quarter, let's say, mm-hmm. well, let's say when you looked at your, well, let's say when you looked at your quarter, what, what, uh, what were you projecting as far where would you where would you be at the end of the quarter as uh with as far as your quota goes 
Yeah, so my gap right now for the quarter was 60K, and then my uh, gap for the year was uh, 800K. Okay. And you have to show how you're going to close that gap. Yeah. Which you did, okay, but do you just show uh, that you're closing the gap at 60K, or did you project that you were actually not going to do 60, but you were going to do like 85 or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you would set, yeah, you would project a number over it. So you go for a certain percentage over it. What's the, what are you trying to do in that year? So I think is that I a requirement? Yeah, that for this first QBR for F1, for, for, for Q1 of the fiscal year, it is a requirement to show both numbers. Yeah, but I'm saying, do they require that you show numbers greater than your gap? No. Do they, they want you to, they, they don't. But the way that you're building it out, you're going to, be able to show the numbers greater than your gap. You're not going to, I don't know any sales rep that would project under. I mean, I even started out with a downgrade starting this year. So I'm already in the hole, but I already projected that I'll be like 108% of this quarter. That's what I was asking. So when you, you're looking at 108% this quarter and then you look forward for the year, you're projecting to be what percent of quota? 112% right now. 112%. Okay, great. So you're showing that, yeah, I'm going to be better than the average rep. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't want to show all my cards, mm-hmm. right? So there are things that you don't put in the QBR that you actually know are, in other words, they're like your insurance plan. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. But it's also things that I'm never going to overestimate how much I'm going to grow consumption. I'm going to be more conservative on that mark. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, what, under promise, over deliver every single time. So it's how am I going to be showing that? How do I do that? I don't want to. How do you project? How do you project the greenfield side? It's what I'm engaged with when I start talking to them. Then you have to start after building opportunities. So our minimum deal for greenfield is 25k. Okay. And that's the minimum that we're trying to sign up for. So that's how you can kind of project it. But once you start digging into their use cases and how many users and data they have, then you're able to actually project it more like. So you get you get better at projecting greenfield accounts as you're going through the year. Yeah. Because you can't do it. They say, well, here's your five Greenfield accounts, and in two weeks I want you to give me a QBR for the year. You don't know enough. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. So they don't drill you on those. They were really drilling you drilling you more on consumption Yeah, at that point for existing really accounts. Well, that makes a lot of sense. What was most challenging for you in moving from being a BDR to being an A? It was so BDRs, I'm assuming BDRs, why don't you talk about the job of the BDR, okay? Because we just talked about the job of the AE. So then we can, then you can answer the question. So what's the job of the BDR? What were you doing as a BDR a year ago? As a BDR, I was setting meetings and trying to discover opportunities or basic level, high-level opportunities inside an account. So it was more involved mm-hmm. with cold calling, emailing, reaching out on LinkedIn, sending updates uh, to the Greenfield accounts, to current customers trying to get them to go to webinars, just anything that is uh, prospecting in any way. And so the end, the end game there was to un, is to discover a qualified lead. Yeah. And then the qualified lead would get turned over to whom? To an account executive. And then like account you. Executive, like me. And then the account like executive would take it from the beginning to close. Okay. So um, now I'll go back to my question. What's most, What's what was most challenging for you in moving from being that BDR to now being an AE? 
It was that providing value, as we were talking about before, providing value in every conversation that you have. As a BDR, you're so straight to the point, A to B, but you're just trying to get your opportunity, trying to get your meeting, trying to get your qualified lead, and that's all you care about and you move on. You don't care about the result of the conversation that often because you're just waiting to hear the word next steps. But as an AE, you had to get on there and walk through who they are, their roles, really expanding out to more of a business overview and then digging into their tech environment and areas like that. Now, that is all done by value conversations and providing that value, as I was talking about before. And if you just keep having those dead, yeah. you keep running chances, then you won't be able to grow. Yeah, but how do you do that? I mean, one of the one of the issues that you have the issues is that, yeah, but you say, okay, so I used to be, I just want to ask enough questions to get mm-hmm. this person to say, well, we might have that need, right? And so I got what I think is a qualified lead and I kind of turn it over. You know, it's sort of like, you want to know more? Yeah, I want to know more. Okay, great. I turn it over. Now somebody else picks it up an AE picks it up. Now you get it and you're an AE. So now I'm getting this qualified. Lead. So here's a person who says, yeah, I'm interested in knowing more. How do you you know, so how did you learn to take it from there? Did they give you sales training to kind of mo- to, to, to help you with where the conversation needs to go and what the sales process is, if you will, from qualified lead to close? I mean, they gave us an overview sales training, but really what it was was I, you get the, your boss is supposed to mentor you and he sets you up with an additional mentor as well, where you have conversations of how does this go? I had my boss on probably every call that I had for two to three months. So I was able to oh, see wow. the direction of where it was going and what to do. And then they're supposed to make you really become more and more of a salesman over time. So really by my like, he led probably my first three to four conversations by the fourth one. He said, you need to start talking up more and you need to start leading this. So from there you start sinking your swimming and you'll sink a little bit and then you'll finally swim up to the top and you'll survive. And you'll figure out where the next steps are, what to do with a prospect, who to go to next. You also need to go talk to those AEs that are going on right now and ask for help. See how they've been successful in the past. We have information online mm-hmm. too in our, inter- in our internet, uh, intranet that can really guide you along too. We have videos. We do have those trainings. But for me, the best way that I did it was to really throw myself in the fire, to really have five to six, or I really average seven to ten meetings a week with different customers. And the only way to really get past having those and getting to make sure that you have those consistently is being able to understand how to qualify them and dig into those value statements that they that they really want to talk about. Hmm. So this was uh, it's interesting. So what you're saying is he started out on all the calls with you and then little by little, he starts to abandon you in effect or leave you up on your own. Yeah. And they, I mean, they, if I still wanted, I could still have my boss on all my calls if I really wanted it. I don't think it's warranted for every call. I think after a while, it's just, it's all on you. This is your territory. This is your life. You're a individual seller an individual. Uh, when did it, so when did it click for you? You know, the, the, when you're learning something new, it's interesting. You kind of watch somebody do it and you go, I don't know if I could do it. Then you watch them a little bit more and you go like, eh, maybe I can do it. Right. Then you do it and then you fail. And then you do it again and you fail a little less. <laughs> and then eventually there's a little light comes on. But at some point you go, you know, I'm okay at this. Yeah. Right? I mean, when did how long did it take for you to get to where I can do this now? Probably took three to four months. And that's kind of the standard I have with a lot of things I've gotten into. And the 
in sales and being a BDR. BDR took me three to four months to believe that I could do this and dominate at it. And same with AE. Three to four months in, I started to move with the flow and I started to put a process together. So I wasn't just winging it anymore. I was taking them from different steps, different points to where I knew that I could repeat this and grow them in consumption. Do they give, this is very good. Do they give you tools to help you manage accounts? They give us tools. To I know you had a tool like sales loft and as a BDR. Okay. Do they give you tools as an AE now to manage accounts? Because it's a lot more complex than it was before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we do have tools that do help us manage accounts. So yeah, we can use that to organize our team and see what the burn rate is of their consumption, see different areas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there are tools there that that help us. I'm keeping track. I'm keeping track of all the all the all the seats and that are using, yeah, that are using the software and all that. All those people that you're gonna have to build relationships with. Yeah, and we have tools. For you that. know, we have everything from Salesforce to to our own uh, homegrown softwares that help us keep track of it. That's how you do it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, what was the so now what would say that you're you're basically doing farming at this point, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to build the consumption within those accounts. All right. And uh, I was interested in that number. So it's, so it's interesting to me, the sales training that was given is the uh, sales manager's involvement, you know, and you said he'd be on every, he could, he would be on every call with you if you wanted him to. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think back, there were some reps that I, that we had in some of our sales forces that would almost require that. They really wanted that. In other words, they would almost act like BDRs. They would move, but maybe a BDR plus, they would sort of move a deal along, but they bring that sales manager in and he'd be like the super closer. Yeah. (laughs) He was the person that moved the sale ahead a lot more quickly and then brought it to a close. And of course, the person getting all the credit would be the sales rep. You seem to not be using your sales manager that way. You seem to be doing it, wanting to be doing this more on your own. Why is that? Because I think that's the best way to succeed and prove myself, prove my worth. I don't want to be the guy that's always asking questions to my sales manager and making him get on all these calls and still acting like a BDR. I'm going back to that three to four months mark that I was talking about earlier where it clicked. That's also the first time that it clicked to me that college was really worth my time that I am doing something that involves problem solving, that I am doing stuff that took a deeper education to make me learn how to grow. And the way to keep doing that is to keep learning and keep trying to do better. So I was like, keep trying to do better, then why do I need my sales manager on there to tell them the same things I can tell them? Now I do bring my sales manager on for different situations. I'll bring them on if we wanna have a really key performance uh, conversation or business performance conversation that's more of a high level business overview. He can come mm-hmm. on to that, but that's only if we're talking to C-suites. And then I'll also bring him on when we're having different conversations where I have to say no. Because I'm always going to tell you, if you can't do something, I'm going to be straight up and honest with you. But some people don't want to listen to the account executive that you can't do it. They I want you it. to say, let me go run this at the totem pole and see what's going on. And then you bring your sales manager in, and then he backs up what you're saying. But you're just, using him more. You're going to use him strategically, in effect. Exactly. You're not going to yeah. just use him for everything. I want to make him be – I want to – my old manager's title was director. So if I brought my director on, it better be for a good strategic reason, in my opinion. Yeah. And he feels the same way. He doesn't want to be just used to death for low-level stuff. Why does he need you, right? I mean, that's what it kind of comes down to. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, what about 
how how much? Uh, tell me about the sales manager to help you get to club. Yeah, I mean he's he's a great guy. He's a straight shooter. He uh, he's been working in sales or for probably twenty twenty five years. Um, in his forties, really wanting to learn, really wanting to grow in New Relic. He's been in New Relic for over nine years. Mm-hmm. So he knew the product front and back. He's trained multiple people up. And it was all coming down to um, how do we prepare for this with a thing called Apollo. It's uh, all revolving on purpose and how your it's purpose, agenda, logistics, and opportunity. And that's how you set up all your calls in a sheet. And that's what you start analyzing. So when you start looking at purpose, oh, he taught you how to do that. Yeah, he so built that sales process. Okay. So while you're doing that, it shows that, but he also gave me the freedom to fail a bunch, to learn a lot and to get that repeatable process I'm talking about, or I was talking about just a minute ago. And that's called the Apollo process? No, Apollo is the way to go about it. It's Apollo or Palo. Just Apollo is how my Southern E-A-L-O. Yeah. Which stands for? Purpose, agenda, logistics, opportunity. Okay. You know, the other thing that that does is it makes for a common language that you're using when he's reviewing your activities, mm-hmm. which makes it a lot easier to talk about. Otherwise, you're talking to a sales rep and he's all over the place, right? <laughs> uh, my, and my apologies. I was wrong about the O. The O is outcome. <laughs> okay. So say it again then, P. Purpose, agenda, logistics, outcome. And that's how okay. you start a conversation with them too. You go, the purpose of the conversation is this. We have this agenda lined up and we have 30 minutes to get through it. Does that still work for everybody? Yes. What, and what's the, the, what's the L? Logistics. What does that logistics. mean? That's just the time that you have to talk to them. So you really oh, had I, it. Okay. start planning with that. And then the outcome is what you'd say at the end of the introduction of being like, and the outcome that we want out of this is X, Y, and Z. So you're teeing it all up on a platter to knock it all down and you're setting expectations during the call. So right away, you're already providing the value. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So it's a sales process for an individual call. That's what Palo is. That's great. So that's great learning right there. And so he drills you on that. He drills us on it, yeah. Yeah. How did he help you when you you were within sort of a hair's breadth of either falling out or getting into club? How did he help you cross the line? He, I guess he, he helped me really start developing mutual action plans, which that would really was helping me cross the line. Now a mutual action plan is for us, it's a spreadsheet that's filled out with different goals, different meeting times, really everything laid out and you share it with your customer and you all agree on what you're trying to do here. You have outcomes in there. So you're showing the outcomes that you're trying to get to by the end of the quarter, by the end of the year. So what it does is keep everyone in the schedule mm-hmm. with mutually agreed items and by doing that, you're able to grow the accounts, and that's going to be the biggest difference. Yeah, but the, it seems to me with what you're saying, I just want to move a little bit to a BDR discussion, is it seems to me what you're saying is you don't really need BDRs. It seems like you have to do, like when you get into Greenfield, your consumption doesn't need a BDR, and your Greenfield accounts seem to be all your responsibility. I don't understand where the BDR comes into your life. So the way. BDR does not come into my life anymore. The BDRs are only for enterprise level accounts. So the biggest of the big accounts and their job is to really go in there and find those different business units and expand in those. 
and then as well as go out to Greenfield and prospect into Greenfield accounts. I was under the impression that you, when we were talking, uh, as you were going through this first year of selling, that you were actually working with BDRs. Is that right? I did have BDRs for a little bit, yeah. Okay. Well, One of the things you told me, you said, when uh, I, ta- I had interviewed before, you said, what did you say? As a BDR, you're scum of the earth? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, good. So how do you treat, how do you treat BDRs now as an AE? Uh, I try to mentor them. That's what I really try to do. Um, I try to show them the process that made me successful. And then from there, I would do the stuff that I wish AEs talked to me about, which was different sales strategy as an AE, what to prepare for, how to get ready to be successful at all levels. And then that also starts out from really getting to know them, not on like really a personal level, but more of their business goals and their job goals and their career goals. So when we have conversations, we're not always talking about sales strategy. We're really talking about everything about New Relic. We're trying to show why we're yeah, going to you're talking it. about something else. One of the things that you do is you first establish what are they trying to achieve? It's that you're doing the same to them that you're doing to your consumption accounts. Yeah. You're trying to say, what are you trying to achieve and how can I help you get there? Right? Exactly. Yeah. So how do you, what advice, how do you help a uh, BDR along? What, what's, what, what do you find yourself advising BDRs um, consistently? There's usually, it's sort of like when I talk to entrepreneurs, as soon as they come in and they're going to pitch to me, I always know I'm always going to talk about focus. They need to focus better. They're trying to sell too many people at once. When you're talking about a BDR, what's the standard advice that you find yourself given over and over again? Yeah. I mean, one is don't get overwhelmed. That would be the advice is you come in, you try to learn the technical aspect of a company so quickly and mm-hmm. you can get dragged down right away and you can believe you're not good enough. But in reality, the technical people went to Georgia tech, the technical people went to college to be engineers. So what's your really real job that you need to learn how to do? You need to learn how to sell the value of our company. You learn the differentiators that we have. You need to focus in on the four areas that are, uh, our key value drivers. And from there, you need to make your messaging from that point. And once you start doing that, then you'll start having people respond to you and really want to talk to you. One of the things that I remember was an aha for you as a BDR was all of the research you did before you company. You started out by making 100 calls a day. Mm-hmm. And because that's what they were trying to measure. This wasn't with New Relic. This is what your previous employers. Just, just, just dial, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And then you realized this isn't getting me anywhere. My hit rate's way too low. So what did you do from there? I pivoted and started to contact people from uh, LinkedIn and different resources in other areas. I mean, you can, you can, you can spray and pray all you want. Um, okay. But really the smartest people in my opinion are the ones that work smarter and not harder. It's why am I putting up all these numbers and getting no results? Now let me go look at the stuff that I did get results from and see if I can make a repeatable process from that. Right. So what you do is do a little bit more research before you make a call and your hit rates are going to be higher. Yeah. That's basically what exactly. you did. So knowing, so again, the being a BDR, successful BDR means you're learning how to, how to work accounts once you become an AE. I mean, it's the same process. You're just trying to, you're trying to find the problem. You're trying to find the person who has the problem. First, the company has the problem, then the person who has a problem, and then trying to understand at depth what it is and to see if uh, your company might be a fit for that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that's a exactly lot. Exactly it. And that's what, I, that's what I go back to when I talk about 
what does your BDR want to do? Because there's a lot of people that just start as BDRs. They just want the pay and they just want to hang out. But I never want to work with people who are content. I want to work with people that want to grow and challenge me. So when you start talking to your BDRs and you start really diving into what they want to do, and that's more than just, I want to buy a house. I want to go live in the nice part of Atlanta. It turns into, I want to be an account executive and I want to be an enterprise account executive. And I want to become a sales manager or, or chief sales officer. I want to become the best person that I can be. And nothing's going to stop me from doing that. And when you have that mindset, you're going to succeed and you're going to help everyone succeed around you. So that's another reason why I mentor these BDRs to do that because I also want the team behind me to be mm-hmm. following my sales, my same sales plan, my same sales strategy so that they can be just as successful as I have been because I've proved it over and over again that I can do this and that I'm showing that this is the true way of doing it or not the true way, but one of the best ways to accomplish any goal that you have. So the biggest, but, but when you get these BDRs that say, oh, I just want to buy a new sofa. Okay. Those people don't interest you. Yeah. So you kind of skip right by them because you know they're not going to be around long ago. You, so you only want to deal with the ambitious, mm-hmm. those that want to move up in the organization. And so it was interesting when I asked you what's the advice that you always find them giving them is uh, your advice was don't be overwhelmed. So as a BDR, that's what happens to you. You just feel like a dump truck backed up on you. Yeah, that's what, especially when you first start at it, you can get tied down by making 100 calls. Nothing's worse than making 1,000 calls and getting overwhelmed and getting nobody to pick up your phone. And then you look over and your buddy has made three calls and got three meetings and three calls. <laughs> oh, my God, that'd be awful. <laughs> yeah, so you go home and you find out quickly life's not fair. <laughs> so you have to make life fair somehow and that's why being an intelligent person and being <laughs> driven and trying to put all the pieces together like i still remember going back and people told me that they listened to their cold calls and all this and it's like you listen to a hundred dials where no one picked up and when they got one guy did he cursed you up and hung up and <laughs> wrote in your notebook and said should have said hi differently no like <laughs> Who are you contacting? What are you doing? And how is this helping the organization at the end of the day? And if you're helping the organization at the end of the day, then the higher ups notice, they notice you a lot quicker. That's interesting. So what you're saying is really, you, you need to not be saying my problem is I need to get a prospect, uh, a qualified prospect. That my problem is, is I really need to talk to somebody and add value on the conversation. You know, it kind of changes what you're trying to do. The end result is something that just sort of happens for you if you're doing the right thing when you're a BDR or a sales rep. Exactly. That's exactly it, yeah. Oh, Nick. What? We got a little hung up. What happened? I'm not hearing you at all at this point. Oh, really? Anyway, so we're going to call an end to this interview <laughs> because of technical difficulties. But uh, I really wanted to get into Nick and understand what his next step is, but I think we covered that anyway. He wants to become that enterprise sales rep over the next several years. So thank you for joining the Charlie Paparelli Show. And I hope you gather information from this that's going to be helpful for you to build your sales force and to make them all successful. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to our next time together. Take care. Bye-bye.